Welcome to Dominating Your Investments, a podcast where you can learn about stocks, personal finance, and creating generational wealth. I'm your host, Dom Rinaldi. In this episode, I'll be interviewing a friend of mine, Chris Patel, who's an avid follower of two of my favorite stocks, Abcelera Biologics, ticker ABCL, and Palantir Technologies, ticker PLTR. I will get his take on the value that Abcelera brings to the drug discovery process and market. We're also going to discuss how Peter Thiel was a common thread for us to be drawn to Abcelera. And Chris will also explain why the major dip Abcelera had back earlier in the year, which left it trading four times off its all-time highs. We're also going to discuss the involvement Abcelera has had in saving lives during COVID-19. So with that being said, let's start dominating your investments. Welcome back to Dominating Your Investments. I'm Dominic Rinaldi, and today we have a special guest. We have Chris Patel. Uh, you may have seen him on FinTwit. Uh, you can follow him at ChrisPatel99. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining me today. Sure, Dom. How's it going? Going good. It's going good. I know we talk a lot about uh, Palantir. We talk about Abcelera, which really we're, we're going to focus today. Um, want to give the audience just uh, insights into what Abcelera is as a company. They may not have heard of it. It's a small cap company. Um, has some very similar traits in what we'll explore today uh, that Palantir has. And really have you break it down for us, the, the short-term, the mid-term range for looking at this investment, and of course, the long-term, which is what we're, we're really invested in. So uh, Abcelera is a technology company that searches decodes and analyzes natural immune systems to find antibodies that its partners can develop into drugs to prevent and treat disease. So it helps multiple pharmaceutical companies help speed up the process in drug discovery, which we'll talk about. Abcelera partners with drug developers of all sizes, from large pharmaceutical to small biotechnology companies, empowering them to move quickly, reduce costs, and tackle the toughest problems in drug development. So I just wanted to read that because they really break it down very clearly on their, their most recent earnings uh, press release of just what they're trying to achieve. And I know you've been following this company for, for quite some time. So could you maybe just start with a little background and how you came to know about Abcelera and your history uh, and kind of what you want to talk about today? Yeah, so... My my research with Epsilera really started um, with kind of following some of Peter Thiel's investments. One of the things I like doing is just looking at um, people who have been able to take companies and bring them to a much larger scale, especially seeing how he's done it with multiple companies. So I was kind of interested in just seeing um, he's on the board of Epsilera. He joined late last year in November. And um, yeah, so I, I was doing a lot of research at the time. And one of the things that really got me interested is their development with regards to one of the first monoclonal antibodies um, that was approved by the FDA for release, which was banlimonab. Um, it was a really big deal because it was, um, it was done in such a short period of time. Um, and it, it really did impact a lot of people, saved a lot of lives. Um, it was used all across the country in the United States, and it still is being used across the country for the most part. Um, there was a brief period of time where it lost um, authorization from the FDA because there were there was some prevalence around variants um, that possibly um, could have escaped some of the responses that Ben Luminab had. So essentially, 
in the course of treatment, they realized that it wasn't effective against these uh, secondary variants. And um, because of that, the, the FDA kind of took away the EUA. And that's one of the reasons why the stock kind of like after IPOing in December, a lot of analysts, they were very hopeful for the company. They saw that the technology was very effective. The products that they have were worked um, in, in namely in uh, Bamlimanab. And um, halfway through last year, like um, around like April, that EUA authorization came up because there were so many variants coming around. And uh, because of that, they lost a ton of revenue from uh, their royalty stream that they were supposed to get because they worked with Eli Lilly. So um, a lot of investors- Let's kind of pause there just out. so the audience knows. So yeah. this was really one of the first release drugs out there to help treat uh, COVID-19 and did save a lot of lives. And, and to your point, the speed of delivery of getting this out to market uh, yeah. was really second to none. Investors got excited about it. Uh, they went IPO in 2020, uh, and they went all the way up to $62 a share very yeah. quickly. Uh, so at that point, it was roughly, I want to say, like a $20 billion company, uh, yeah. roughly around there, market cap. And yeah. then it's come all the way back down to now $16 a share today. So a great entry point. We're not recommending yeah. selling or buying stocks today on the show, but yeah. um, we'll talk about why we like this one. And, and really that, that the premise that some of these companies get with being a quote unquote COVID stock, uh, yeah. even though they lost some of those royalties, yeah. why don't you share with the audience how universal this technology is and that it's really the software and technology that you're looking at and it's not just focused on COVID. Yeah, so essentially, uh, Absalera works by doing a lot of deep discovery. Um, they And uh, if you look at their entire board, uh, including their CEO, they're all PhDs. They're very heavily involved in research. Um, and essentially, they have multiple platforms that individually didn't exactly make a lot of sense. When you look at like drug discovery, a lot of times what happens is you have a, a company kind of like has an idea and says, okay, I have an idea that this could possibly work for this disease. But in the course of research, they have to go and get certain things from other parts of the pharmaceutical industry. So in order to do testing, they need certain lab equipment. In order to get data for this, they have to go here and they have to partner with so many different companies. And individually, a lot of these companies, they focus on one core area of research. What's cool about um, Absalera is that they're taking all these technologies and then putting them together into one singular platform and being able to integrate it so well that they're able to kind of like scale it up. So essentially what happens is instead of going to, it's like a grocery store, instead of going to five different aisles, you just have to go to one aisle because that's everything you need there, right? And that's exactly what a lot of uh, people are trying to do right now. So a lot of big name companies, big pharma companies have essentially partnered with them to use their platform to get to a point where um, they can help in the drug discovery um, arena. The other cool thing is also that they didn't leave out the small and medium companies. You know, they know that small and medium companies don't necessarily have a ton of capital available to do a lot of research. Yeah, their ideas are great and they want to partner with you and they're willing to do a lot of the clinical trials and everything else. But essentially, 
they're stuck in that they constantly have to raise capital. In this scenario, because Absolera um, has all these platforms together already, what they can do is say, okay, you know what, we're going to partner with Absolera. We're going to let them do a lot of the front end research and we'll give them a small part of the, of the royalty stream once this drug is approved. And royalties are great because they're essentially super high margin, right? Once you get that stream going and, it, and it's, um, and it's um, effectively like just literally a money printing machine. Um, the other cool thing is you're kind of diversifying away from some of the more expensive parts of drug discovery, which is the clinical trials, which take a long period of time, have to be monitored very closely, and you need a lot of personnel, need a lot of deals and partnerships to, um, you know, with like universities and hospitals in order to do it. So with Absalera, they're like, you know what, we don't want to do that part. We want to do the part that we're really good at. And we want to focus on that. So it's, it's like any of the other companies that Peter Thiel invests in. They all have this very similar flywheel model where essentially what happens is they, they work with a company, they learn from the company, they optimize their platform and make it better. So the next partner that comes along, they get better and better and better. And it's literally just goes right into a circle. And that's essentially what this company does. Um, in the short term, you know, they, they had a lot of issues with, with um, they, they actually decided that, you know what, we are going to heavily focus on COVID-19. It's the biggest, um, biggest dilemma in, in the world right now. So, you know what, let's use our platform to basically come up with something. And they did. And now they're partnered with Eli Lilly. Um, and Eli Lilly, of course, um, is a commercial partner for Bamlimanab. What's really exciting me right now with regards to this company is another follow-up drug that they kind of discovered while they were doing the research with Bamlimanab and doing the clinical trials. And that one is called Bebtalimanab. I don't know why they keep making these names so complicated. I'm impressed with how you're able to pronounce all of these so well. I get with it real quick. <laughs> I, I mean, I literally like have been trying to like learn how learning how to say them so many so many days, and I'm finally starting to get it. But Beb, told me, uh, Beb, see, I can't even get 100 percent yet. It, well, it's okay. I think yeah. the audience will forgive you. <laughs> yeah, Beb Tillavilab. Um, what's really good about it is that one, it's effective against all the variants that are out there. Well, all the known variants that are currently circulating. Um, the second thing is you can actually, the, it's not hundred percent like um, determined yet, but according to the research, it can, it has a possibility to be, yeah, to be given as a sub Q. So a subcutaneous injection is literally like a small dose right under the skin. And it's a very easy administration. The current process for monoclonal antibodies is it, it's kind of sucks. So you have to go to a hospital, they have to do a, an IV infusion and, and that's how they would, you know, get it in, into you. What's good is it's a one-time thing. Right. And it's also very effective. It's like between 75 to 85% effective, which is really effective when it comes to um, making sure that you don't, you don't ever end up getting hospitalized or possibly die. Um, there are some things that um, are a little bit uh, challenging with regards to uh, Bebtilovinac. And that is that now there is an option for antivirals. So that antiviral option, which with regards to uh, mol, molnuvapiravir, that's the new drug that Merck just uh, announced that um, basically caused the rest of the market to right? crash. You, just, you can yeah. literally take the pill. 
Yeah. And the thing about the pill, though, even that has its own challenges, though. And I think some of the things that a lot of people are not really considering is, um, number one, the safety of this pill hasn't been 100% proven yet. Um, this medication was essentially developed for influenza by a company called Pharmacet all the way back in 2003, and they abandoned it. Um, and the reason why they abandoned it is because they found out that um, it actually has mutagenic properties. The action by which this works is that um, it confuses the, the, um, confuses the virus, but it has a, also the possibility of also confusing healthy cells. And actually, that's one of the reasons why if you look at it, um, look at the, the, um, the clinical trials, all the females had to be on either uh, abstain from sex or be on birth control. And same thing with the men had to wear condoms or be completely celibate throughout the throughout the trials, because there is a chance that there could be um, there could be some issues with the offspring. Uh, one of the things is when they did it on animal models um, back in 2003, they discovered that actually the animals, um, well, the, the offspring had like defor uh, deformities around skulls and everything else. So, you know, when you have that kind of like diminish safety profiles to a point where a company abandons a drug. Sure. You know, it's something that you have to take into a lot of consideration. And, and you know, they've probably done a lot of um, testing with it. But if I, I'm just going to share a couple of things with you on the screen and just show you. Um, Before we once. do this, I do yeah. want to uh, ask a couple questions around the idea of therapies versus vaccines and other drugs that come to market. And I'm not an expert at all in this field, so I'm leaning on you to understand this, but is it fair to say that um, these antibodies, because they are discovered from humans and in within the blood work of others uh, who've had COVID, um, that it's a safer approach to providing a resolution than, say, you know, a cocktail that's come up through, through a vaccine per se, or, or this Merck drug? Is there anything different between antibodies versus kind of what else is out there in the market today from a safety perspective? Yeah. So, so right now, primarily the optimal thing would be vaccinations. The vaccinations themselves, um, what they essentially do is get your body to produce a lot of those antibodies yourselves, right? COVID, the way that it works is that once it's inside your body, you know, it's, it's like a virus, it'll latch onto your healthy cells, and then it'll actually propagate and create more viral cells inside you, right? And then at the same time, once it gets to a high enough viral load, then you die, you know, essentially that it, that's, and, and also, once it's replicating inside your body, it actually can be passed to other people. Um, with vaccinations, what happens is it kind of like uh, jogs your immune system in order to produce antibodies that work to fight against the, against the viral invaders. What these uh, monoclonals do is they, they, they take that, that element that's in your body that naturally gets produced to fight the virus. They take it and you put it from an outside source and you put it inside you. They're identical to what you would find in another human. And when they're inside you, what happens is it gives your immune system enough of a enough um, 
enough time right. in order to yep. produce its own antibodies so that this way the virus does not get to a point where it can it can kill you. Um, the other thing is with the antiviral, it works on a completely different mechanism where it stops the replication of the virus um, by confusing it and then making bad copies of itself. The problem is, according to some of the the research, it can actually have that same that same um, that same action can actually kind of affect your healthy cells too. So that's sure. that's one of the bigger problems with uh, the antiviral uh, melanivir. It's something called, it's a process called lethal mu- mutagenesis. Now, one of the, one of the things that um, one of the, um, the former FDA commissioner, Scott Godley, who's on CNBC, and he mentioned that I thought was very interesting because I thought the same exact thing was, number one, it's only 50% effective, right? Would you take something for let's say you you got a COVID positive te- a positive COVID test and you went to the hospital, they said yeah take these antiviral pills you know with all the they'll explain of course all the risk and only fifty percent strength of yeah yeah it's not exactly going to be like yeah this is the one I want to take no and then you have on top of it you have another thing which is the monoclonal antibodies right and that you can take and that has a seventy five to eighty percent. 80% chance of not being hospitalized and not dying, right? So which one would you choose? Yeah, pretty no-brainer, right? And I I think what makes it really interesting to me with the antibodies is it appears to me more natural in the fact of how our bodies are created and designed to generate antibodies to fight off viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just replicating that opposed to maybe something else. Now, well, something, oh, go ahead. There is one thing, though. What if I told you you could take both? And that, believe it or not, that is a possibility. Because what happens is there are actually two different methods by which it stops the virus. One actually confuses the virus into producing bad copies of itself. The other one does not let the virus actually latch onto your to your um, healthy cells. So they're essentially, even after, let's say, approval, probably in the next two, three months, the monoclonals are not going away. It's probably going to end up being, hey, let's kind of combine these therapies together, do some research. And that way we'll probably end up getting a very effective um, uh, uh, treatment for this specific thing. So um, I would say this, I think the primary endpoint right now should be vaccines. People should get vaccines, but I know not everyone wants to. And you know what? It's, I, I'm, I'm always we're, we're treading on political yeah. waters yeah. here. We'll say yeah. that uh, uh, I think we can both agree uh, everyone should have a choice in how yeah. they want yeah. to find their remedy, right? Uh, I think choice is very important in all of this. This is what I would say that this, I wouldn't say this gives you an alternative to vaccines because it doesn't give you a whole, like a whole alternative. Sure. What it does do is that it does give it does give covid a a mortal blow because what happens is if you let's say if you do get covid for some reason by giving you this the likelihood that you'll spread it to others diminishes significantly right and like i said not everyone can get the vaccine anyway and not everyone wants to get the vaccine and that's fine if people don't want to get it listen there is an option now that 
that can essentially help you. But like I said, it's something that everyone is going to have to kind of make a decision on, on which one they want to do. You know, I personally wouldn't get the pill, to be honest with you. I, my, me and my wife are trying to have kids right now. I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to change healthy cells. Uh, you know, oh yeah, this drug will oh, make COVID go away. Yeah, but I don't know what the long-term effects of this specific pill are. And I think that's a lot of the problem with all of this, honestly, is it's so hard nowadays to know what is truth, what is, what can we believe, what study, what's the source data that we have to pay attention to, and then how the statistics are, are, are portrayed. Um, so, so it really does, you have to do your own research and really dig in. Um, now, what I will say on what they're trying to accomplish, I love the fact that Abcelera is going after a major problem in drug discovery as a whole. And the major problem that you hit on earlier is that it fails too often, right? I'm looking at their yeah. investor deck and we've, we've heard this from uh, competing companies like Schrodinger that uh, 90% failure rate in drug discovery and yeah. the average time it takes for a drug to come to market is nine to 12 years. And the cost yeah. for that company is $3 billion. So you got to have okay. some deep pockets if you want to come out with a drug uh, to, to really make that one of your revenue streams. So is it fair to say this is more like a picks and shovel to drug discovery per se? I would say, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good way to characterize it. But I would also say that um, using its platform, it's going to also not... Well, not give you, well, no, I wouldn't say not give you the opportunity, but it, it significantly reduces the amount of mistakes that you'll end up making. Because let's say you do do some research, right? And you're partnered with them. If you're trying to do something that they've already done and it doesn't work, it's right there. Like, no, this is not going to work. Here's the research data to say this is not going to work. So, you know, when you're doing research, you're always trying to, it's not, I think it's not so much about trying to figure out what works. It's about trying to figure out what doesn't work, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times you have a hypothesis. You think that this is something that is going to go from A to B, but then you realize that, you know what, maybe C is a little bit better way to go. Maybe D is another way to go. You know, what about E? What about F? And when you're doing all this research, that's why it takes so much time because you're always trying to figure out what doesn't work. So by leveraging all these other programs and this machine learning and this AI, what essentially you're doing is not, you're not just figuring out what works, but you're also figuring out what doesn't work and filtering all that stuff out. So that this way you're not wasting your time on something and you're not wasting a lot of money doing research into why it doesn't work. Right. And you get a lot, like I said, it gives you the more it grows and the more this company grows, its data grows along with it. And if that data grows along with it, you get much more accurate um, endpoints when it comes to uh, drug discovery. It's just like Tesla, right? The more the car drives, the smarter it becomes, right? So one of the things that right now, a lot of people will say, like, oh yeah, you know, what is S uh, Tesla's AI like really, really do well? And I'm like, well, it, there's so many of them around right now. They're gathering all this data and that data is valuable. It's going to actually help drive that AI and make it really good. I made the comment to one of my friends about Tesla. When you think about autonomous driving, uh, is it possible or too far-fetched to think that the government will say, 
I only want the companies that have the most data and most accurate results to allow them to have a full autonomous delivery model that is allowed on the road. And who would that manufacturer be? Well, that would be Tesla, whereas everyone else has yet to come to market or have that many cars out there. Uh, we all know with artificial intelligence, data is king because that's how you get the more data, the closer you are to truth and less false positives, which here on their investor deck, they talk about it being a full stack patented proprietary AI uh, software. Basically, they call it their antibody discovery engine. Just like you said, the more customers they get, this seems like it's really going to expand for them. Um, and you mentioned the big partnerships. I was blown away with all the different partnerships that they have already. Uh, they have disclosed publicly uh, not only Eli Lilly, but Gilead, uh, Denali, Novartis, Pfizer, DARPA. We know that DARPA pretty much invests in anything you're thinking technology-wise. They invested in Palantir. Uh, we look at Glasgow. Uh, we look yeah. at Merck, uh, Palantir yep. customer, Regeneron. The list goes yeah. on and on. Um, and I, I think one of the, the most interesting names on here is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And the reason I say that is because they also invested in their competitor, Schrodinger, and they have a 10% mm -hmm. stake in Schrodinger, which does something very similar, but it's not necessarily focused on antibodies, but it is focused on a physics-based approach to drug discovery to speed it up through a proprietary software. So this is doing it from an antibody perspective and, and therapeutics, um, but that they are trying to invest in the companies that have a technology advantage that they see, hey, this could be a future piece in our healthcare system. Um, so that gives me a lot of confidence. In fact, their largest first donation was from uh, that foundation for a grant for $645 million to try to help uh, test for with antibodies for tuberculosis back in 2012. Um, so I, I think it's just really interesting when you see those big names already recognizing that this technology is is legit. Um, that can give an investor a little more confidence when you're looking at yeah. a market cap of only five billion. Yeah, five and which billion. is one billion of that market cap they have in cash like well it's like 800 something yeah. plus receivables but if you think about assets literally it's like almost a billion there um and they're new brand new company brand new everything it's just i think a lot of short-term investors got in thinking they're going to have this tremendous revenue um going into the future from covid and this was going to be the next hot covid stock and it's like no this is not yeah. just a covid stock yes one of the primary short-term revenue drivers is is covid and the pandemic but even the medium and long term they've got tremendous amount of partnerships with a lot of big name companies and all they need is one or two really big hits i mean right now if you look at the major monoclonal out like one of the major monoclonals out there humera right that's a monoclonal. A lot of these drugs weren't around. A lot of these things weren't around 30, 40 years ago. This is still a brand new industry and they're doing a phenomenal job of breaking into it and also now innovating themselves to a position where they've created a platform, which other companies are seeing the value in, you know? And I, like I said, I think this company's got a potential to 10X 
over the course of 10 years. Um, in the short term, I think that um, now that Ben Lumineb is back reauthorized, um, I'm not sure when they're going to recognize a lot of that revenue that, um, that they've been generating, like with uh, sales through Eli Lilly um, in September. But I think uh, fourth quarter, we should see like a material increase in revenue again. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see how far they get. The other thing is Beptibola. Bentolivimab. Let's give it an abbreviation. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that gets approved, in which case that just gives one more treatment layer. And then again, it ends up being um, a nice little revenue stream until they get these other drugs that are in preclinical studies with um, with Epsilora into the market. You know, um, there's a few right now. They actually got another uh, drug discovery platform, Triani, and then that actually had some licensing with another company, um, Novarock, that kind of gets tied into it. But this is the very, very early stages of a company that has the possibility to 10x itself in a short, in a very short period of time. I think a lot of investors um, and a lot of analysts, there's what surprised me is that even after all this, all the emergency authorization takedowns, they didn't lower their price target. I don't know if you saw that. No one has lowered their price target. And if they did, they only did it by a few dollars here and there. If every analyst right now is giving it like a $40, $50, $60 price target, that's another thing to say, you know, and and these are big time, big time analysts um, who have a lot of background in in biomed and biotech, um, giving it that valuation. So uh, I don't know if, um, I don't know how how it's going to do with regards to, sales in Q3, but I think Q4, you should really, I think it's going to be exciting to see a lot of that revenue start coming in. Well, and I would say too, that I think we can both agree that this is a longer patient type of investment that will go through a roller coaster, right? In this segment, in biotech and genomics, healthcare, anything like this, typically it is a lumpy ride where a, a drug goes through and gets approved and, you know, results skyrocket. Things are yeah. silent for a while. Investors get impatient and they sell out and it goes back down. Um, yeah. What I'm looking at is some of the key metrics to kind of keep a pulse on, on the core part of the business of, well, how can I track this if there's not uh, a lot of revenue or a lot of drugs out there? Some of the key business metrics that they outline in their Q2 earnings to say, pay attention to is, um, they went from 25 discovery partners last June to this past June, 33. So that's a 32% increase year over year. Excellent. Um, then we look at the uh, molecules in the clinic. So from one to now four, that's a 300% increase. So they have four different things that are at clinical trial stages already. Okay, we've got to think about that's within a year. Uh, programs that started from 48 last year to 60 is a 25% growth. And I'm saving my favorite metric because this is the one I'm really paying attention to as we follow Mm -hmm. the stock along its journey is the programs that are under contract uh, accumulative uh, for trying to discover a new antibody. Uh, 76 was back in June of 2020. Now this June 30th, uh, 2021, 138. That's an 82% year-over-year increase. That's that's yeah. telling me that 
other pharmaceutical companies want to try this out. Like they, their yeah. word is getting out that this technology is something to be used uh, and can speed up drug discovery. And also the revenue that they're going to get is not just royalty from those drugs. It's also going to be research fees and milestones from when um, the drugs make it into either an IND stage or, uh, or through the um, clinical trials. And that will kind of elevate the company again. So like I said, I think um, the more partnerships they add, the more targets they add, um, they're building capacity right now. That's the other thing. They're building a, um, a giant like factory slash laboratory in Vancouver, which believe it or not, the, the, the um, Canadian government paid for most of it, I think, you know, over, over a course of a period of time. Before it launches. Say that again? Uh, 2024 is when they said the, the facility right. was ready. Um, and yeah. I learned that it was the fifth fastest growing uh, company in Canada. Yep. Yep. So this is, this is definitely one of those big time companies that I think we're still at very early stages on. Um, and this is one of those things that I'm DCAing. This is the same thing that I'm doing with Palantir, which is literally just, I have a fixed dollar amount every week. I'm not even looking at it. I just set it up to automatically buy, you know, with fractional shares, you don't have to worry about having, you know, the exact amount. I just put it to set, like, I think it was like $500 every week, which I have extra just goes right into the stock. I don't care about if the price is 16. I don't care if it's 24 over time. I know that it's going to average up or, uh, well, I'm going to be able to average up and average down a little bit here and there. And my, in, my in price will be much more measured, you know? So if on good days, I'll be happy. It's making money on bad days. Hey, I'm getting a discount. So either way, I think this company's got a lot of potential and I, I hope, I hope it's 10 X is, um, but I, I do have a long, long-term horizon on this. So I would say to anyone who's just trying to get in and out very quickly and thinking that, hey, I'm going to be able to make some short-term profit. This is not the company you want for short-term profits, especially because they don't have that many things on the horizon that would lead you to like become a 10X company. No, I'm not saying it can't happen. When you're looking at any sort of pharmaceutical company, if you have one thing go right in your direction and that specific thing has breakthrough results, like beptolimumab may be like the, the COVID cure, who knows, right? If it does end up becoming something that becomes really restandard, it might 10X next year, but I'm not going to rely on that specifically to become the uh, default for my investing in this company. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you're playing with fire at that point. Um, and what I really like is it, I'm just looking over and just glossing through their, their recent update on their investor deck. Um, doesn't it just feel like Peter Thiel's fingerprints all over this company? Like, I don't know if you've read the book Zero to One, but yeah. it it's what got me interested in Palantir. Like, I, I just can't believe I didn't uh, get into Palantir at an earlier stage. I had started investing in that company three months ago. Uh, when I really started to, to do my own due diligence and research the company. And um, now it's my seventh biggest position. My goal is to get to my number one. But after having this conversation, it kind of makes me want to make sure to get Abseller joining, uh, growing faster with it as well, because it is uh, a, a smaller cap solution uh, company that 
really can grow a lot faster than when you look at a $50 billion company. Personally, I think both of those companies long-term will, will do very, very well, hopefully 10X in, in, in a long time, uh, in, in a shorter time horizon than we, we want. But overall, I mean, Peter Thiel doesn't get involved in companies that he doesn't see that could be, you know, generational and, and innovative changing uh, in what the world does um, for medicine. If you, look, if you look at their S1, literally the entire, I, I swear, I think Peter Thiel wrote that S1 with regards to that flywheel model. Literally, I looked at it, I was like, that looks eerily similar to Palantir's business model. Right now, they're doing the same exact thing where they're integrating themselves with so many different partners to the point where it. I think in about 10 years, people are going to say, hey, listen, I'm going to send you a link to Palantir. And they're going to, and the other party is going to say, I don't have Palantir. Okay, I can't do business with you. I'm sorry, because all my systems are integrated with Palantir. And now, because your counterparty has it, you've got to integrate with them. So then it just, and that, that's exactly what I see happening with like the airplanes and Skywise. So yep. many airlines now have it to the point where, you know, if you want someone to work on your plane, like, you know, like Airbus, whatever, they're going to say, well, you're going to have to get a Palantir because that's what's, that's the platform that we use in order to manage our, our uh, inventory or manage our um, repairs. So, you know, yeah, I, like I said, I think, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the other part that, that I'm just looking at their deck and it just jumps out at me here um, is their investment in other companies before they get too big that are game changing and that fit that flywheel and that, that uh, process that they have. So you look here, their process says step one, source, two, search, three, find, four, analyze, and then fifth, engineer the drug. You can see here where Triani was in the first stage of source. Then Alloy was uh, another one. Then we look at Lineage, which was in 2018 in acquisition for their fine stage. Mm -hmm. uh, we look at Stellium in Analyze. So well, it just seems so similar to what Palantir is now doing with um, SPACs. Now, now keep in mind, yeah. they're actually trying to help their products uh, be better because of Palantir. I wouldn't even be surprised to say if we didn't know that Upseller was using Palantir. Yeah, that's that's been a rumor. Also, I I'm not sure how much I lend credibility to that. I think there's a lot of like probably business model um, overlap, but I don't necessarily think that they're working hand in hand. The other thing is one of the one of the things that I recently read is that Absolera is. It'll take royalties from like these big time companies. But if you're a small company in lieu of royalty, you know what they'll do? They'll take an equity stake in your company. Who else does that? Oh, there you go. That's the, that's the right? very similar business model to what Palantir is doing. And I like that because if we've learned anything through SoftBank and others out there to become, you know, for, for all these massive companies that have evolved, Google has a VC uh, firm, a VC mm -hmm. arm. Shopify has a VC arm. Mercado yep. Libre has, I mean, everybody has now their VCR to, to make sure to scoop up these startups before they become the competition, right? And yeah. they were that disruptor in these large industries. So um, I think this is a great place uh, to maybe conclude our conversation because uh, I do yep. want to be respectful of our listeners. There will be a part two yeah. for sure. I mean, I'm, there's so much more we could talk about of seller, but I think we've given a good high overview. Uh, yeah. 
you know, anything you'd like to leave our, our viewers with uh, on maybe just final, final uh, stance on Accelerant and also where our fans can find you on Twitter. Yeah, you can just follow me right now on Chris Patel 99. I'm actually um, thinking about doing a Absellera focused YouTube channel slash Twitter that specifically focuses on Absellera news um, and pretty much just breaking down different things like partnerships that they have, how they kind of relate to the business model that, um, um, see, I almost said Palantir, see that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that Absellera is using and basically just kind of focusing on that. Cause I think a lot of times with, um, with drug discovery and with biotechnology, there's so many like little nuances to it that, um, that are very interesting to look at. And I, I find some of them to be pretty interesting. I mean, it's boring to most people, but I find it interesting. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you can just find me on Twitter at Chris, uh, Chris Patel 99 for now. And uh, if I have any, any uh, launches on the channel for YouTube or whatever, I'll uh, definitely let you in. I'll let you guys Perfect. know. Perfect. And that's K uh, Chris with the K uh, for everyone yeah. who makes sure to follow you. He's a great follow, uh, not only on Upcelera, but uh, on Palantir and a lot of other stocks. So really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to our next conversation, whether it's on Upcelera, Palantir, or, or maybe even another emerging tech company that comes yeah. out. So, um, thank yep. you again, Chris. Oh, take care, man. It was a good talking to you, Don. Take care. Have a good night. I want to thank Chris for coming on the show today and encourage you guys to follow him on Twitter at ChrisPatel99. Now, please remember our disclaimer. Dominating your investments should not be seen or heard as financial advice. This podcast is for entertainment and of opinion only. Please keep in mind that there are a lot of risks associated with investing in the stock market. So do your own research and due diligence before making any investment decisions. Dominating Your Investments is a podcast under the umbrella of the Pounding the Table podcast network. And we thank you for listening. You can hear more content from myself and other team members in our network on our Pounding the Table YouTube channel and podcast. Thank you for listening and don't wait to start dominating your investments.